Friends, welcome to Trailhead Church. Again, my name is Joe. I'm excited to open God's Word with you this morning. Uh, before we get into Proverbs again, I want to take a, a couple minutes and mention a few things in regards to next weekend. Um, next weekend is a really exciting time in the life of Trailhead Church. Uh, we've got two big things happening. So first off, Saturday evening at 6 p.m., the launch of our third service. Uh, so Trailhead Church, starting next weekend, will no longer just gather on Sundays for our two services, but we'll also be gathering for worship at a third time on Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. And as part of that, we are still looking for um, about 10 to 15 uh, or maybe even more people who would commit to being a part of our Saturday night uh, launch team. So, um, man, starting new things is always challenging, right? It's challenging personally, it's challenging in your job maybe, and it's true in the church too. So we really need help. We need help in this. And so we're looking for um, some who will be a part of this launch team. Our goal is about 40 people. Uh, People who will say, okay, for the first six months of this Saturday service, um, that's my service. That, that's the service that I'm going to attend. That's when I will gather with Trailhead uh, Church to worship corpor- corporately. And, and, and not to serve on Saturday nights. So just to clarify, uh, we really need this core group. Um, we need them to serve, of course, but not serve on Saturday evenings. We really just need them to attend and be in the auditorium, in the gathering, and worship. The reason for that is we hope for newcomers, we anticipate newcomers, and man, it's just going to be a lot more comfortable for them to enter the auditorium with a decent-sized group of people in here, right? I mean, it would, be, it would be awkward otherwise for them to come into an auditorium of like two people. So, um, so we're asking for help in this launch team. If you'd be interested in that, you can right now go on your device, go to trailheadonline.org slash serve, and there is a posting there for our Saturday launch team. Go ahead and sign up for that. That would be awesome. We'd appreciate that. Please be in prayer for Saturday night and um, be in prayer for those who lead ministries and are kind of making final preparations this coming week. And we're excited to see what God's going to do through this. Second thing in regards to next weekend, uh, we are launching a new sermon series. Uh, We are staying in the Old Testament. We are going from the poetry to the prophets. We're going to the book of Jonah. Uh, I'm excited about this. You probably all know at least a little bit about the book of Jonah. Everybody usually knows, oh yeah, that was about the guy that got swallowed by the whale, right? Swallowed by the big fish. Let me tell you, there is a lot more to the story of Jonah than just a guy getting swallowed by a fish. So I want to say more than that, but I don't want to take anything away from what Steve has prepared for this series. So Um, As part of diving in to Jonah, see what I did there? See that? As part of diving into our study in Jonah, um, we are offering a tool. uh, We want to put a tool in your hands, as we did with the James study back in the spring. Um, You probably saw it on your way into the auditorium. We have study books available for you. uh, Because we want you to be engaging the book of Jonah, not just on Sundays, but all throughout the week, personally and in your community groups, and this tool is going to help you do that. So if you haven't already, please pick up a book. Um, Ultimately, those books are of no cost. However, um, we do ask for donations to help offset the printing costs. I think the recommended donation amount is $6, at least it was with the James uh, book, I know. So if you can make a donation to help with that, greatly appreciate it, obviously. Ultimately, though, regardless, please pick up a book and let's engage engage Jonah over these next couple months. It's going to be fun. All right, so for this morning, we are once again in the book of Proverbs. We are concluding this series this morning. And um, we have, you know, we've been in Proverbs the last couple months, talked a lot about it, about a lot of different topics because Proverbs covers a lot of different topics. It gives us wisdom in a lot of different areas of life. This morning, we're going to be considering the subjects of work and laziness, work and laziness, which is ironic being Labor Day weekend, right? I didn't plan for this to happen. Um, obviously, this is a weekend where we kind of as a culture say, hey, yeah, we've been working hard. Let's take an extra day. Let's make it a three-day weekend. And let's kick back and take a break. And then you get to come to church and hear, hey, work hard. Don't be lazy. Um, hopefully, it doesn't come across that way. 
But I did not intend for this to happen, but it just worked out that way. But um, in picking out this text, I think I mentioned this when I preached last time a few weeks ago, that that I picked both of my texts from Proverbs really just by asking, where do I need to grow? And where do I need to hear the wisdom of Proverbs in my life? Um, So last time it was fear of man, and this time it um, it is laziness. I can definitely be lazy at times. And Proverbs is not shy about telling me that that is foolishness. So again, I just want to acknowledge up front, I am not saying anything this morning out of a position of, I've arrived and I'm a super hard worker and never struggle with laziness. Quite the opposite. Um, I know that I often uh, walk in foolishness in this way. I, um, fleshly, sinful, immature Joe is, is, loves to be lazy. I love to sleep in. I love to... I love to sleep. I love just sitting around and doing nothing. I love kicking back and watching The Office or Parks and Rec with Becky on the couch. Um, and none of those things are wrong necessarily, right? But I just know that sometimes my, manif- my laziness manifests itself in those ways. And it's probably the same for you too, I would guess. So two passages we're going to be looking at this morning. Um, again, one theme, but we're going to look at it in two passages Um, You'll see the passages behind me on the screen, Proverbs 6, Proverbs 26. Um, If you're using one of the the hardback Bibles around you, the page numbers are on the screen there as well. Let's go ahead and read both passages uh, right now. So I'll just read them back to back, and then after that, we'll do our usual call and response of, of thanking God for His Word. So first, let's read Proverbs 6, verses 6 to 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. And then... Chapter 26 as well, verses 13 to 16. The sluggard says, There is a lion in the road. There is a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, first, let me just tell you where we're going this morning. I have three questions that I want to ask and answer this morning, and I'll just go ahead and give them to you right now. First, who is the sluggard? Who is the sluggard? Secondly, what is the sluggard's main problem? What is the sluggard's main problem? And then third, as we view this subject through the lens of of Jesus and the lens of the gospel, how does that help our understanding of all this. All right, so that's where we're going. Number one, who is the sluggard? Uh, the sluggard, you, you picked up the word all over in those verses, right? So there, all throughout Proverbs, there is this, this guy, we could say this, or, or this gal, right? He always uses, he always uses uh, male pronouns, but females can be sluggards too. At least I think they can be. Um, no, no, nothing meant by that, okay? Just, just saying. Um, but this guy that Solomon refers to throughout the book of Proverbs as the sluggard, uh, I love that word. I love how it evokes the imagery of what? A slug, right? A slug, those slimy, nasty, fat, worm-like things that slug around on the ground, and if you pour salt on them, they die. That's, that's about all I know about slugs. Um, that's kind of the extent of it. Um, But Solomon says, if you are lazy, you are like a slug. You are like a sluggard. Um, The idea of the word in Hebrew is actually to be loose or to be slack, um, to not be tight or rigid. So you may have heard the phrase before, you can't push a rope. Uh, It's kind of a, I think it's kind of a common phrase in engineering. At least I've heard that. Uh, You can't push a rope because a rope has... Uh, it's, it's loose, it has slack, and it doesn't have any tension to push against. It just kind of lays there as you push it, and that's the idea of the sluggard. The, or or some, some versions even say the slacker. 
um, is that he just kind of lies there and, and um, yeah, that's the sluggard. So let's get into these passages and, and get our minds around who the sluggard is. And I think you'll find, as I did, that, man, I can be a sluggard uh, a lot of times, right? So first look at chapter 6. Uh, right at the beginning of that passage, chapter 6, verse 6. I love this illustration that Solomon uses. He points us to creation. He points us to not this magnificent creature and by any stretch, one that we would think is very insignificant, but he points us to the ant as a source of wisdom. He says, sluggard, look at the ant. Go to the ant. You who struggle with being a sluggard, take a look at this ant and find wisdom what does this ant do? Verse 7, without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. So, uh, a lot of things here, but I want you to first notice, um, again, we're trying to establish who the sluggard is, right? So, notice something that Solomon kind of indirectly says about uh, who, what a sluggard is, who a, sl- a sluggard is. In verse 7, he says, without having any chief officer or ruler. Okay, why is that important? Um, well, unlike the ant, the sluggard, the sluggard, we could say, lacks initiative. Lacks initiative, lacks motivation. The sluggard needs to be prodded along in order to get things done. He needs someone watching over him, making sure that he's working, because if he's left to himself, he just won't do it. He won't work. And so the piece of wisdom here is, uh, sluggard, look at the ant. The ant doesn't even have an officer, chief, or ruler, and yet still prepares and gathers its food. The ant is not lacking any motivation or initiative, doesn't need any oversight or prodding. It just gets the job done. So sluggard, be, be like the ant. Um, now, I want to come back to the ant uh, later in a little bit because um, there's one more thing I want to pull out there. But uh, go on in the passage to verse 9, chapter 6, verse 9. Um, something else about the sluggard, no surprise here, the sluggard loves sleep. The sluggard loves his sleep. Solomon asks the sluggard, how long are you going to lie there? How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you rise, arise from your sleep? So the idea there is the sluggard has stayed in bed uh, much longer than necessary. We've never done that, right? We, that's not us. No, we, we do that sometimes, I think. And then, and then verse 10 um, almost as if quoting the sluggard. You notice a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. That's how it always is, right? We just want a little bit more. Oh, it was, I, I experienced it this morning when I got up. I just wanted five more minutes, ten more minutes. Give me a little bit more sleep. And, uh, and Solomon tells us that that is, that is sluggard talk, right? The sluggard loves his sleep. Um, also in chapter 26... And by the way, since we're doing two passages this morning, don't feel if you want to jump around to both passages, you can, but I don't think you're going to have trouble following along if you don't. But anyway, in chapter 26, verse 14, uh, again, the, the, the sluggard loves his sleep. The imagery that Solomon uses here, he says, As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. Guilty. <laughs> I've done that, right? When you've stayed in bed longer than you needed to, I mean, your, your body's about as rested as it's going to be, and you're trying to get a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more sleep, and you're just kind of restlessly turning uh, back and forth, side to side, like a door on its hinges. The sluggard loves his sleep. No surprise there. However, what's even more remarkable is how the sluggard justifies himself. He justifies his sleeping in and his laziness. I want you to go up one verse in 26 to verse 13. The sluggard says there is a lion uh, in the road. There is a lion in the streets. The sluggard justifies his laziness and goes to pretty extreme lengths to do so. He's actually making up things in his mind, and, and I don't know, maybe he actually believes these things, uh, that, there, that there really is danger outside, that there really is a lion in the streets that can kill him. Um, but, but therefore, in his mind, he, he might as well just stay in bed. Hey, man, there could be a lion out there. 
you know what, better just stay, stay put right here and get a little bit more sleep because there could be some real danger out there. I mean, you never know when a lion's just going to show up walking down your street. Um, it's, just, it's just funny. I mean, it's just a funny thing to convince himself of. But I want you to notice there a, a principle kind of at play um, that is true for all of us. Um, something that Steve says to us often, uh, it's a really helpful um, phrase. It's, what the heart loves, the will chooses and the mind justifies. Let me say that one more time. What the heart loves, the will chooses and the mind justifies. So that's true of the sluggard, right? Um, the problem for the sluggard is not whether or not, in fact, there is a lion in the streets. I mean, you could, you could, for the sluggard, you could go out in the streets and make sure they're clear and come back and say, hey, streets are clear, man. You're good. You can, you can get up and go to work. Uh, that, that doesn't matter for the sluggard because it's not a mental problem for him. It's a heart problem. He loves sleep. He loves rest and craves rest, and he'll look for any way that he can to justify it. His problem is not a physical one that he needs more rest. It's not even so much a mental one. It's a heart problem. It's a desire problem. More on that in a few minutes, okay? I want, I want to develop that more uh, a little bit later in the sermon. So, um, just to kind of review so far, okay, so slugger, he lacks initiative. He, he loves his sleep. He justifies his laziness and his love of sleep. And then something kind of bigger picture for the sluggard, verse 16 of 26, he is proud. He is full of pride. It says in verse 16, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. So, so the number seven there picturing completion or fullness. So, so Solomon says you could put together the the full, complete picture of, of wisdom and, and thinking sensibly, and the sluggard says, yeah, I'm wiser than that. I, 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 got my, uh, I got it all together. I am wiser than that. That's what he says um, in his own mind, in his own eyes. That is some crazy pride, right? That is, that is dangerous pride, especially for a guy who just said he believes there's a lion in the streets, and yet he thinks he's wiser uh, in his own eyes, than seven men who can answer sensibly. All right, one more thing about um, the sluggard back in chapter 6 with the ant, back to the ant. Um, remember what it said uh, that in verse 8 of chapter 6, that the ant prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Think about that. In the summer, the ant is not thinking about the here and now. The ant is thinking six to nine months down the road for the winter when it will need bread. And then as it moves to harvest time, again, thinking toward the future, thinking about the winter when it's going to need food. I mean, the ant is more forward thinking than most of us, right? So we are transitioning from summer to fall right now. So that means for the last, I don't know, three to four months, all the ants around you, all the ants in your yard at your house, and all the ants that, I don't know, you walked by on your way into the building this morning, uh, they have been planning for this upcoming winter. Some of us aren't even thinking past lunch today. Um, I don't even know that I'm thinking past lunch today. Um, the ants are crazy forward thinking. And so, again, kind of reverse see the principle here. What does this teach us about the sluggard? Okay, the sluggard then he just lives in the present. He's, he thinks in the present. He doesn't think past the here and now. There's no planning. There's no forward thinking. It's just, what do I want to do today? And, and that's what I'm going to do. So the, the sluggard, he fails to see outside of his present circumstances. He, get this, he, he doesn't see the bigger picture. And that really, when I think, when we get down to it, I think that's the answer to our second question. So what is the sluggard's main problem? It's this. He doesn't see the bigger picture. Or to say, say it another way, the sluggard's vision is too small. The sluggard's vision is too small. His vision is too small in two ways. His vision of God is too small, and his vision of his work is too small. So I want to camp in, in those ideas for a bit here. Okay, first... <clears throat> the sluggard's vision of God is too small. 
We already know that the sluggard has a small view of God, a small vision of God, right? Because, because of how he walks in pride. If he walked in humility, we would say, okay, this guy has a right view of God. But no, he walks in pride. Uh, in his own eyes, he, he, he's wiser than seven men who answer sensibly when his posture should be humility. His posture should be before God. God, you are great. You are infinite. You are almighty and powerful. Who am I? Who am I before you? But that's not the sluggard at all. He walks in pride because he has a small view of God. He has a small vision of God. And look in chapter 6 again with the ant. I want you to notice something again. Uh, verse 7, uh, Solomon brings out, ant makes its preparations without a chief or officer or ruler. Now, does the sluggard have a, a chief or officer or ruler? Does the sluggard have a, a boss looking over uh, his work? We don't know. Maybe, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But we know that he has one ruler, right? We know that he has one king or one who should be his king. The, the sluggard should be saying, you know what? It doesn't matter whether I have a chief or officer or ruler. I have a ruler. God is my ruler. God is my king. He is my Lord. He's the one that I serve. He's the one that I work for. I don't, I don't need a, a lesser ruler to, to motivate me because God's my king. He's my ruler. Um, there's a passage in the book of Ephesians that teaches us really well uh, later in the Bible. I'm going to put it up on the screen here. This is Ephesians chapter 6. Um, this idea that, that we, have, we have rulers, we have managers, we have bosses, we have masters, and yet we have one who is above them, right? So Ephesians 6, verses 5 to 7. Um, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. So, a, a lot there I could bring out. I want you to just notice that principle that's just kind of all over there. Paul, Paul, who is the, the author here, he says, servants with your masters, and, and I think by extension we could say in, in the present day, um, employees with your managers, workers with your bosses, um, serve and work as you would Christ. Did you see that all over? Uh, end of verse 5, as you would Christ. Verse 6, but as bond servants of Christ. End of verse 7, as to the Lord and not to man. Paul is, is saying over and over, yes, you have a boss. Yes, you have a manager. You have a, you have a master, but you have, someone, uh, you have someone over your shoulder, but you have someone over his shoulder too, and you need to care much more about him. He's above, he's not just above your boss, he's above everything. He's your king. He should be your motivation for working hard because you serve him. But again, the sluggard doesn't think that way. He, he doesn't think any of that. He doesn't even seem to have God on his radar because, again, his vision of God is too small. His vision of God is too small also, not just in, in God being his ruler and, and being his king, but also in God being his delight, in God being his delight. So all over the, all over the Proverbs, we learn about the sluggard. And um, it, it says in a few different places, we learn that the sluggard has a problem with his heart, as we talked about earlier. His, his problem is in his heart. It's his desires. It's his cravings that, he, that he's always desiring and yet never can be satisfied. I want you to look at a couple of verses on the screen here. Uh, Proverbs 13, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Proverbs 21, The desire of the sluggard kills him for his hands refuse to labor all day long he craves and craves but the righteous gives and does not hold back so you hear it there right he he craves and gets nothing his desire kills him all day long he craves and craves so for the reason that for reason for that is this the sluggard has a heart problem he has he has misplaced desires and misplaced hopes he is preaching to his heart a message 
that his sleeping in and his lying around and, and his relaxation and his refusing to work and his, and his uh, giving himself over to leisure and all of its various forms, that that is going to satisfy his heart. And yet he never finds that satisfaction. If you wanted to say it simply, you could say it like this. The sluggard's problem is that he rests in his rest. The sluggard's problem is that he rests in his rest. If you want to get down to the, the, the bottom, the, the foundational heart problem of laziness, even in your own life and in my life, um, it's this. I really believe that. It's resting in our rest. What do I mean by that? Uh, when we rest in something, it means we're delighting in that thing. It means that we are putting our hope and our joy in that thing. And so that's what the sluggard does with his rest and with his sleeping and lying around. He rests in his rest. He places his hope for joy and his hope for satisfaction and fulfillment in his rest. But the Proverbs tell us all of his attempting to find satisfaction in his rest and in his being lazy can't satisfy his heart. Why? Because he was made to have his heart satisfied in God. He was made to have his heart satisfied in God. He was made to rest in God, but the sluggard doesn't believe that. The sluggard doesn't even have God on his radar. His view of God, his vision of God is too small. So, friends, I want to just ask, just pause a second and ask you to step back and consider in your own life, these, these two ways that the sluggard's vision of God is too small and, and ask you, where can you trace your tendencies toward laziness, your tendencies toward sluggardness? Where can you trace that back to having a small view of God, a small vision of God? Where is it that you are ignoring the fact that God is your ruler and that you serve Him? Or where are you believing the lie that your rest can bring you rest. I mean, we do that, right? I do that. Uh, man, how many times How many times have we said, oh man, just can't wait to get to the weekend. Oh man, I can't wait to go on that vacation. The, and it's not just the physical rest, right? We, we put a lot of hope and a lot of stock in that weekend or in that vacation. Man, that's going to satisfy my heart. And it never does. It never does. Where are you believing the lie that your rest can bring you rest when rather God, God should be your rest and God can be your rest, your hope and your satisfaction and your joy? All right, so the sluggard, he has a small vision of God, but he also has a small vision of his work. He has a small vision of his work. The sluggard sees his work as unimportant, uh, it doesn't have any real meaning because he disregards the importance of our work in God's, in God's design of his creation. Uh, you remember, right, that work, our work, has always been part of God's creative design for the world. Uh, sometimes we think that, um, that work is part of the fall, I mean, because we just hate it so much, and it's just not fun sometimes. Man, this must be a result of sin and brokenness and, and the curse. But work has always been part of God's uh, creative design from the beginning. It was the case with, with Adam and Eve way back at the beginning. Um, and, and rather, it's the fact that work is hard and work is not fulfilling and not satisfying as God intended it to be. That is a result of the curse and brokenness and sin. But again, work has always been part of God's design. In fact, it was really one of the ways, it really is one of the ways that he has created us in his image. The first chapter of the Bible tells us that God made man, God made humans in his image. And, and this, after verses and verses of telling us, if, if you're familiar with that first chapter of the Bible, um, God created, God created, God created. This day he created this, this day he created that. And then we get to toward the end of that chapter and it says that God created man in his image. So if God has created humans to be like him, he who is a creating God, then it must mean that we have been designed to be creators as well. And we have. 
We have been designed to be creators and, and workers and developers and investors of his creation. We're not just to kind of stand by idly and maybe kind of guard the creation. No, he wants us to take it and do something with it, cultivate it, develop it, work it, invest it, turn it into something better and greater. So working, working hard, working with excellence is one of the ways that we reflect the image of our creator. Um, It's one of the ways that we show his beauty to the world. And again, the sluggard doesn't even have this on his radar. I mean, he, he totally disregards this. The thought of work to the sluggard is at best just something that has to be endured, not a way to actually bring glory to his creator. But more than that, the sluggard disregards this about his work as well. He disregards how his work can impact others. He disregards how his work, his work can impact others. Um, the sluggard, in his own mind, as, as are all the fools of the book of Proverbs, uh, the sluggard loves isolation. He loves uh, living in isolation, being on an island. Uh, so whether he works or doesn't work, whether he works hard or doesn't work hard, it doesn't really matter because in his mind, it all happens in a vacuum. It all happens in isolation. He, he doesn't see how his work or his failure to work can impact others. He misses the huge principle that we as God's people, we work not just for the good of ourselves, we work for the good of others. We work not just for the good of ourselves, but we work for the good of others. That is, the end of the fruits of our labors is not us. It is those around us. It is our our family, our brothers, our sisters, our friends, our neighbors. And it has always been that way with the people of God. Back in the Old Testament, God uh, blessed His people, and ultimately he, he blessed them, not because they earned His blessing, but because He is a kind, gracious, loving God. Um, but sometimes, I think probably many times, that blessing came through their work, right? I mean, He, he, he blessed their harvest, maybe we'll say. He blessed them with an abundant harvest, but they still had to go out and plant. They still had to go out and plant and, and till and plow and and harvest and, and do what farmers do, you know, which I don't really know, but, but they, had, they had to do that. They, they had to do that. They had to work. And God blessed them through their work. Um, but God made it clear time and time again. He said, I'm blessing you, but I'm not blessing you for you. I'm blessing you so that you can then in turn be a blessing to the nations, so that you can in turn be a blessing to the world. And it's the same for us as God's people today. Okay, it's, it's, it's exactly the same for us. And the sluggard, he misses this. He disregards this. Um, verse 11 of chapter 6, I want you to look at that. Verse 11 of chapter 6 talks about the poverty and want coming on to the sluggard because of his, his failure to work, his giving himself over to sleep. It says the poverty and want come on him suddenly and quickly like an armed man, like a, like a robber. And of course, that is a real legitimate threat that the sluggard should wake up to. Hey, hey man, if you don't work, you're not going to have what you need. You're, you're, you're going to be poor. You're going to be without. You're, you're going to need food and, and clothing and, and water. So, so totally legitimate uh, threat that the, that the sluggard needs to be aware of. But beyond that, shouldn't the sluggard also be thinking, man, if I, if I don't go out and work, not only is my own well-being and threat, but, but beyond that, how will I have anything to bless others with? How, how will I have anything uh, to give and, and to use to serve others if I don't go out and work? How will I be able to take resources that God blesses me with through my work and then turn them and bless others if I don't get up and get out of bed and, and go to work? <clears throat> but of course, the slugger doesn't think that way. He doesn't even have others on his radar. He lives on an island. He lives in isolation. He misses how his failure to work impacts others and how his work could, in fact, be a blessing to others. Another place in the Proverbs, uh, we won't go to it. I'll just kind of reference it briefly. It kind of tells a a brief story of a sluggard. Uh, The the writer says, I I saw a sluggard who owned a, a field. He owned a vineyard. 
And this sluggard, not surprisingly, uh, did not care for the land well. It overgrew, it overgrew with thorns, the walls, the stone walls broke down. And the story actually concludes the same way this passage in chapter 6 does with the, uh, with the poverty coming on him suddenly and quickly. And so, so again, the passage that, that I'm referring to there, again, hey, sluggard, you're going to be poor if you don't work. That's kind of the main point, but I think we should also not miss that the sluggard has missed a huge opportunity to, to bless others by not working. If he had taken care of his field, taken care of his, of his vineyard, uh, yes, he would have not gone into poverty, but he could have been able to bless others with that field as well. He could, have, he could have planted and taken in a harvest, maybe even an abundant harvest, and he could have shared some of that with people who were in need. I mean, he had a vineyard. I mean, he could have had some, some good parties and feasts there, right? He could have blessed others in that way as well, but he, he, he didn't. He let, it, he let it go. He didn't care for it. He doesn't give any thought to how his failure to work impacts others around him negatively and how his work could bless others positively. Um, Another passage in the New Testament that teaches this really well, actually back in the book of Ephesians again, again it will be up on the screen. Uh, This teaches this concept really well, I think. Ephesians 4, 28, uh, it says this, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So, in this verse, Paul talks about three mindsets. I'm going to go through them really quickly. Three mindsets that we can have toward getting money, getting resources, um, so that we can live. Uh, The first mindset would be stealing. It's an option, right? I mean, you could get what you needed to live by stealing, but Paul says, no, no, thieves don't steal. Let the thief no longer steal um, that would be frowned upon by the Bible and just basic morality as well. So any kleptomaniacs out there, I'm sorry. Um, no, we can't steal. Okay, that's not an option, but, but still kind of an option. So second option, Paul goes on, rather let him work doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something. That's the second way. That's the second way that we can get. We can, we can work, we can labor, we can do honest work with our hands, and then we receive a wage. We get paid, and, and we get paid because we did the work, and I think it's safe to say that that mindset is how most of us live, or most people live. I think many Christians live, and I know I do sometimes as well. We live and operate with that second mindset, that I work, and I get paid for my work, and, and I'm going to enjoy that pay. However, there is a third option here, a third mindset, because you notice I stopped in the middle of the verse. I didn't finish it out. Paul doesn't just simply say, so that he may have something. He says, so that he may have something to what? To share with anyone in need. Major difference there, right? Do you see how Paul establishes the purpose of our work? He actually says, The purpose of our work is not just so that we can have, but so that others who are in need can have. You work at your job, and I work at my job, not so that the resources that we receive in return, our wage, our pay, can end with us, but so that they can go out from us to others, especially those who are in need. I mean, what a a crazy way to live, right? How many people actually live that way? And and not even just thinking about our money and our physical resources, but what if we thought about even our our knowledge and our experiences and just everything we have as, man, this I don't have this for just me. How how can I leverage this? How can I turn this out and bless others with this? Now you may say, but why would I do that? I don't want to do that. I worked I worked hard for my money. I worked hard uh, to, uh, to earn what I've earned. I don't, I don't want to give it to somebody else. So why would I do that? Yeah, let's answer that. Why would you do that? Why would I do that? Why would we be, why would we be generous like that? A few verses later in Ephesians, just five verses later, I think, Paul says this, 
This is the reason why we work so that we can, this is the foundation for that mindset, why we would work so that we can then share with those who are in need. It's because someone has worked for us. It's because someone has completed the work for us and has given to us richly. Ephesians 5 verse 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. That's the motivation. That's the foundation. It's the theme of the Bible again and again and again. We love because we have first been loved. We give because someone has first given to us and in fact has given himself up for us. We work because somebody has already come and done the work and finished the work and completed it. The gospel of Jesus and what he has done for us is the foundation for this. And so this, this moves us really nicely into the third question for this morning. Um, as we view work and as we view laziness through the lens of the gospel, through the lens of, of Jesus, how does that help our understanding? We just talked about a huge piece of it there, right? Um, the generosity. We are generous in response to God's generosity to us in Jesus. Um, so I want to wrap up, uh, answer this question and wrap things up here with two statements um, that answer that question. Here's the first one. <clears throat> in light of the gospel, our lives should look like rest. In light of the gospel, our lives should look like rest. Friends, there is good news for us that we need to hear this morning. We need to hear it again and again, that someone has come and done the work for us. He cried from the cross, it is finished. The work is finished. The work is completed. And so rather than us trying to work, rather than us trying to work ourselves into God's favor and into his love and his, his grace and kindness, rather because of Jesus, we are invited to simply rest and rest in, in what he's done and not work. It could never be earned through work. There is, a, there is a great rest, there is a great Sabbath that Jesus has won for us um, through his death, through his resurrection, that we live in now and we uh, experience now. And so it would be wrong for us to walk away from this sermon and apply it in our lives in such a way where we say, okay, well, man, I can't be a sluggard, right? I, 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 God doesn't want me to be a sluggard got to stop being a sluggard. I'm going to work hard. I am going to work hard for God. And that isn't necessarily wrong in of itself, but to maybe go all beyond and say, I'm going to, I have to work hard so that God will love me. I have to work hard so that God will be pleased with me. And friends, that is, that is wrong. That, that, that would miss the gospel. None of this changes the fact that we can never earn anything from God through our work. We will never be able to earn anything from God through our work. We are not loved because we work. God's not pleased with us because of our work. We are loved because of Jesus. We are, he is pleased with us because he is pleased with Jesus. Believe that. Hold on to that. And I would add even uh, to that just a kind of a practical application that because our lives are to look like rest, that there are definitely appropriate times of resting um, in life that God has for us. I mean, we, again, we should not walk away with an application of, okay, never going to be a sluggard again, not taking an off day ever again. I'm going to go, 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 work, 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 work. That would be the wrong application of this as well. God has established the pattern for us. He established it in creation. Um, six days he worked, the seventh day he rested. We should not neglect that pattern. Um, even, even in light of these rebukes against sluggardness, there is still a right uh, season to rest, a right rhythm of resting. And so we need to establish uh, regular rhythms of rest. And we can do that because our confidence is not in us. Our confidence is not in our work. Our confidence is in God. Our trust is in God. Our hope is in God, and our trust is in what He has done for us through Jesus. So, in light of the gospel, our lives should look like work. On the flip side, second statement, in light of the gospel, we have much work to do. 
In light of the gospel, we have much work to do. I want you guys to look at one more verse with me. Again, it'll be up on the screen that, that kind of connects our work with what Jesus has done, our work with the gospel. Uh, this is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a, uh, a, a chapter entirely on the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, and then as well, our future resurrection. And so Paul, at the very end of the chapter, this is how he wraps up that, that chapter on Jesus' resurrection. He says, Therefore, so in light of Jesus' resurrection, in light of our coming resurrection, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So I want you to notice this. Paul has spent an entire chapter on the resurrection of Jesus, and he says, okay, now you know that your labor is not in vain. Now you know your work is not in vain, that your work, your labor has meaning because Jesus rose, because he resurrected, and because you will one day be resurrected. And so what I want you to notice is, I think that sheds light on the kind of work, the kind of labor that we should be giving ourselves over to. We should be investing ourselves in, in risky, dangerous, sacrificial work that only makes sense if, man, we could lose it all and it's okay because there's a resurrection coming. That's the kind of work that we should be giving ourselves over to. Why, otherwise, why would Paul say this? Why would he wrap up this, this chapter and say, Jesus has risen, one day you will rise, so go work, know that it's not going to be in vain, regardless of what happens, regardless of the loss, regardless of the sacrifice, it's worth it because there's a resurrection coming. Paul, he's calling us here out of our our cute, little, neat, safe versions of Christianity, and he's calling us to risky, dangerous, sacrificial putting our lives on the line kind of Christianity. He says, give yourself over to work that only makes sense if there's a resurrection coming, that it will only be worthwhile if it's true that there's a resurrection coming. Friends, that's the kind of work we should be investing in. And and what is that work? What is that work ultimately? It it is not the work, right? It is not the once and for all finished work that Jesus has come and, and finished. We can't add to that. We can't improve on that. But what our work is now is to, is to tell everyone about that, is to get the message of Jesus, his death and his resurrection out to the corners of the world, to every tribe, every people, and every nation. That's what Jesus commanded us to do before he left. That's the work he's given us to do. That's our mission. That's what we've been sent to do. And some of us will go. Some of us will maybe send we will, we will stay and we will send to those who go. We will support. We will rally behind them. We will support financially and in prayer. But a word to those who send, who stay and send, realize that there is a sense in which all of us have been sent. We are all missionaries. We are all missionaries right where we live. Do you think about that? Do you think about the fact that God has sent you to your neighborhood He didn't send me to your neighborhood. He sent you. He sent you to your workplace. Nobody else has the opportunities for speaking the good news of Jesus that that you have because you alone have the unique combination of of coworkers and, and neighbors and friends that God has given to you. And it's the same for me as well. God has sent us where we are with unique gospel opportunities. Who's going to reach the people in your workplace other than you? This is the work before us, friends. This is the work to give ourselves over to, to to give ourselves over to sacrificially. And so my final word to us is let's let's not be sluggards in this. Let's not be sluggards about this. Um, Many times we are, though, right? Many times we are sluggards about the things of God and the church and the work that God has for us and our mission. And I think sometimes maybe that sluggard... being sluggard there is really rooted in laziness. I think sometimes it's rooted in boredom, though. 
I think sometimes, honestly, we get bored with the Christian life, or we get bored with the version of the Christian life that we have in our minds. We go to church, we maybe go to community group, we think, man, is that all there is? And, and not that those things aren't massively important, they are crucial, um, but there is so much more to the Christian life than that, right? God has set you on a mission, and that mission cannot be carried out within the context of these four walls, probably. He is inviting us to a great adventure. It's risky, it's dangerous, but it is, it is so worth giving our lives over to this work. So, yes, in light of the gospel, we have much work to do, but that work before us, the mission that God has for us to carry out, is, it is an exciting adventure that God is inviting us to come on and give our lives for. All right, friends, that's, that's what I've got this morning. Um, so in a few moments, we are going to celebrate the finished work. We're going to celebrate the finished work of Jesus through communion, remembering his, his broken body and shed blood. Uh, we'll have some reflection questions on the screen for us to just have a few moments of reflection. First, let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for your word pray again that your, um, that your spirit would be present here and just continuing to, um, to work on our hearts and penetrate our hearts with your word. Um, God, I pray that you would explo- expose um, the sluggardness in our lives. God, I pray that we would, um, we would repent of that. I pray that we would see that it is a path of foolishness and God, that we would give ourselves over to, to work that makes much of you. God, that we would see our, our lives, our jobs as ways that we can not just make money for ourselves, but how we can then turn that to bless others. God, help us to, to see maybe where we have lost sight of you, that you are not our ruler, that you are uh, not our king, that you, we, we tell ourselves that you can't really satisfy us and we need to find satisfaction and rest in our rest. God, help us to see the foolishness of that. Um, God, pray that we would be, that our hearts would be thrilled with the mission that you have before us. God, that we wouldn't have this this view toward the Christian life that, that leads us to boredom, but that we would see that you have a mission that you, you want to send us on, and it's exciting, and it's, it's an adventure, and it's, it's going to require sacrifice, and it's going to be risky and dangerous, and um, I pray that we would embrace that. I pray that we would uh, be prayerful about that. God, help us to just be humble before you now and be... Um, thoughtful and introspective of of what you have for us this morning. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he came and finished the work. Help us to rest in his work this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.